Ron? Okay, great. Can everyone hear me okay? Great. Uh, I'm going to use my cheat sheet here just for some uh, introductory notes. Um, my name is Ian Mitra. I'm the managing editor of the uh, Texas Tribune, and I'd love to welcome you to the sixth annual Texas Tribune Festival. Uh, this is the Community College Pathways panel. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'd like to acknowledge the supporters of this panel, uh, ETS HiSET and the Gulf Coast Community Colleges Consortium. And though sponsors and donors underwrite this event, they play no role in determining the event's content, panelists, or line of questioning. Uh, this panel will last about 60 minutes and will include some time at the end for Q&A. Uh, we have microphones, so please uh, step up to the, to the microphone at that time to ask your question. Um, I would ask that when you do, if you do have a question and you come up, please no speeches. We are very time sensitive. Just please uh, kind of elaborate your question and get to your question. Um, also, uh, immediately after this panel, uh, ETS HiSET will be hosting a meet and greet featuring the panelists in the FAC lounge, which is just outside the auditorium. Um, and uh, now before we introduce our distinguished panel, I'd like to ask you to silence your phones. Uh, if you want to tweet, please use the hashtag, uh, hashtag TTF. Uh, to my immediate right is Dr. Glenda Barron, who is serving her ninth year as president of Temple College, based in Temple. Before taking the helm there, she worked for the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board. Her roles there included assistant commissioner for the Participation and Success Committee and assistant commissioner for community and technical colleges. She has taught at Lamar State College, Port Arthur, Austin Community College, and the University of Texas at Austin. Seated next to her is Dr. Jeremy McMillan, who has served as president of Grayson College since 2012. Before joining Grayson College, Dr. McMillan worked in several administrative roles at Trinity Valley Community College in Athens, Texas, including Associate Vice President for Academic Affairs and Dean of Planning and Institutional Research. Dr. McMillan began his career in higher education as an adjunct sociology professor, professor at Texas A&M Commerce. Uh, next, we have Dr. Brenda Hellier, who was appointed Chancellor of San Jacinto College in 2009. She j first joined the college in 1996 and she has served in a number of executive positions, including director for the San Jacinto College Foundation, executive vice president for resource development, vice chancellor for fiscal affairs, chief financial officer, and executive vice chancellor. Dr. Hellyer also serves her community through involvement with various commissions, committees, and boards at the national, state, and local levels. And finally, uh, I'm grateful to Dr. Joe Carroll Fabianchi for joining us today. She's a uh, the Vice Chancellor for Academic Success at the San Antonio-based colleges. Uh, Alamo College's Chancellor Bruce Leslie, who's listed in your program, was unable to attend. Dr. Fabianke has her, held her current role since 2012. During her time with Alamo, she has held several administrative positions, including Executive Assistant to the Chancellor and Associate Vice Chancellor for Academic Partnerships and Initiatives. Before that, Dr. Fabianke was a professor at San Antonio College for 24 years. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, I'd like to start really by focusing on this innovative program that we're implementing at several of our community colleges, and that's referring to the Guided Pathways system. And I'm hoping to, to rely on your expertise to kind of explain to the group you know, the genesis of this. Why, why, why this? Why now? What, what brought this pathway system on, and why, why is it the way to go? I'll open it up to anyone who wants to, to take it on. So at San Jacinto College, we got involved with the Pathways through the American Association of Community Colleges. And there was a request for proposals, and we really looked at that, and I say we, from my leadership team and then also from our faculty organization. And our interest was we've been on a pathway for student success, um, really looking at how we improve our completion rates, 
what is happening with our students, how do we not lose as many students, and we've done a lot of work over the last nine or 10 years, but we, and we've had tremendous successes. I mean, in 2006 and seven, we graduated 2,700 students. Last year, it was over 6,000. Tremendous growth um, and, or improvement, but not necessarily tremendous enrollment growth, but what we still saw were the number of students we were losing. And how, what else do we need to do within our institution to address that? And so the Pathways, um, we got involved because we wanted to go to the next level. Um, and what Pathways is having us do is we are looking throughout the entire organization. Where are there barriers that are not allowing students to complete what they start? Where are we losing students and how do we address that? And so it's coming from our instructional side, we're looking at that. Um, we're looking at all the curriculum pieces around our majors, but then also all the support stuff that we do. Um, from the student applying and coming in our doors, what are the support systems that are causing barriers um, to our students? And so we're involved in it because we see, while we've had improvements, we gotta do better. And we've gotta do better for our community, we've gotta do better for our students, but we've gotta do better for the state of Texas. I imagine that the barriers in San Jacinto might be different than barriers in, in the different colleges. I mean, can you talk about like the various uh, barriers that, you're that, that you see that you're trying to address through this program? Yeah, so in, in our case, and I agree with you, we've got to do this uh, for the success of the state of Texas. Uh, and it starts with uh, dual credit. Uh, in my institution, a little over 20% uh, of the students are dual credit students. So you have to focus there uh, when they're in 10th and 11th grade taking dual credit classes. And are the classes they're taking going to help them uh, towards their trajectory towards a degree? And we, uh, we know what happens with our students and what our most successful students do in terms of graduation. And we knew we needed to do better. Grayson College already does better than the state average, but we're committed to excellence. And we want to be uh, moving like you have, uh, tripling her degrees. That is a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal thing. Uh, we actually, this last year, saw the highest number of degrees uh, awarded at my institution in a one-year period of time in our entire history, even though when you compare enrollment to about uh, three or four years ago, we have about 1,000 less students. We're a smaller college. We have about 4,500 students. So it's a, Pathways is about this, taking the students you have and getting them to move through your, your program so they actually have degrees. Uh, we, could, we could enroll a million students and not graduate a single one, and we have an impact on the, uh, the future of the state of Texas. Uh, we have a desperate need to make sure that we uh, help students overcome the barriers uh, to be able to uh, be, be uh, in the workforce in a more productive manner or to transfer to university. And so Pathways is a very large, multi-year uh, project. And my, our challenges at my institution, uh, to get to your question, uh, were that when we compared ourselves to others, we saw that we weren't having course completions at, the higher, at a high level. And so we, we went about uh, working on that, implemented a number of things. Actually, at the collegiate level, we started taking attendance. Uh, this last year, we had the highest course completion rate in 16 years. Uh, we had the highest fall to spring retention rate in a decade. Uh, and so it's about helping students build momentum, and that starts differently at different colleges. Uh, and so in our case, we knew attendance was the, the lever, but we did that based on data because we need to know our students and be able to know how to help them where they're at, know which lever to flip. And so um, it's an exciting project, and, we're, and you're a part of the national model. And then the state, uh, a lot of colleges in the state of Texas are very interested in this, and so the state um, of Texas has a cadre two, or a cadre of, of colleges working on Texas pathways, and that's what Glenn and I are a part of uh, at Temple College and Grayson College. Yeah, Dr. Barron, could you expand on that more, that there's these two models, the, the national model and then kind of the Texas-focused one? Uh, 
ACC, our national organization, uh, provided an opportunity for our colleges to apply to be a part of that first group that started out on this Pathways initiative. And we had Texas colleges that applied, and both Alamo and San Jack were able to be a part of that effort. Uh, we have two other colleges, I believe, in the state yes. that are also a part of it. And uh, those of us who didn't think we could be competitive, uh, colleges like Jeremy uh, is at uh, Grayson and we are at Temple, we sat on the sidelines and said, uh, when is our turn? And fortunately, our state organization, TAC, was able to put together an opportunity for 12 colleges to participate. So we're really pleased with it. Now, I'd like to, to give you just a little bit of what we did at Temple that got us on this pathway. In 2010, uh, we are uh, Achieving the Dream College, and we're also a leader college. And part of the Achieving the Dream effort was to get colleges to start looking at their data and making decisions related to that data. And one of the things that just jumped off the page at us, and especially to our Board of Trustees, was how many students came into us not college ready in math. And they had to go through a sequence of courses to get college ready, to demonstrate the fact that they were college ready. And when we looked at the number of students who entered developmental math at the lowest level, it was 281 students in a particular year. Two years later, four had completed a credit course in mathematics. And you talk about something that's sobering that will just bring you to your knees is when you think of all those students that we either lost or we're just recycling in their pipeline. So we got involved in what's labeled the new Mathways po uh, project with the Dana Center here at UT as a co-development partner. And we have turned that around. It's not perfect, but we now have in one year of the students circulating through that pipeline, We've improved to 44% of the students completing in one year instead of four students individually in two years. And that's what really motivated us to think we need to look at this whole picture of how students come in, how we help them through advising, and how we get them to where they want to be in the fastest amount of time with the right coursework to transfer or the right course, uh, course package to get them a good job when they leave TC. Great. Dr. Fabianchi, uh, you know, implementation of in, through the national model, how has that been? Is it a very similar process to what Dr. Barron referred to? Has it been a, has it been, has, it, has there been significant differences? Well, you know, they, they chose 30 community colleges across the country to participate in this. And uh, like we would know, even across Texas, every community college that was accepted is in a different place. Uh, many of us had done a little more, some had done less, but we are coming together and, and actually the Texas cadre is kind of doing exactly the same thing that the national model is. And that is looking at how do we get students on a pathway, how do we help them stay on that pathway, and how do we get them through. And that includes advising and other things. I think this pathways project or model or movement is here now because of the things that my colleagues have said. With, with achieving the dream, 
uh, over the last decade, community colleges have been using data to determine what we need to do. Uh, and we know that with House Bill 505 and the, um, the increase with the endorsements and then 505 with dual credit, that we are the transition from those high school endorsements to the universities. Mm -hmm. We also know from all of the data that the state has been providing that we've all had not enough graduates and the graduates have too many hours. And so I think this has just all come together at this time that we realize it's not just about enrollment, it's about bringing students in, helping them find what they want to do and what they can do based on their skills and their life and everything else, and then helping them to get through. So uh, we may be a little further along than some of the others, but it doesn't mean we don't have a whole lot to do. And you've got to take the time to bring everybody in your organization along with you. So it's creating the vision of the changes that how we even perceive students and how we help them to getting them through. Uh, we've, but, I, but the focus really helps you because uh, our goal for 15-16 was to have 10,500 graduates and we've just uh, realized we had 12,000. So, you know, just the fact that you're all looking at helping students complete can make a big difference. Great. So I'd like to try an experiment. I don't know if this is going to work or not, but uh, I'd like to like, place myself. We've been talking a lot about the theory uh, with, with, with the Guided Pathways uh, idea. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about how it actually works for a student. Um, and I don't know if this works, but I'm going to try to use myself as a guinea pig. Say, you know, I'm applying, uh, and it's going to be different, obviously, at each college. It's going to, there's going to be a lot of factors. So I'm hoping you can ask me some questions, too, about this. But I just wanted to like, show an example of how this would work for an individual student. Um, you know, say if it was me applying, you know, how does this, how does, how does Guided Pathways work for me if I'm starting to apply to, to one of your colleges? So I, I want to answer that um, at a kind of a global level about how that was three years ago at Grayson and how it is now. Great. And then they have examples, I'm sure, and want to know if you're, uh, what type of student you are. <clears throat> but if you were a science-interested student at, at my institution a few years ago, we'd say, are you in biology or chemistry or this or that or the other? And Pathways is designed uh, to realize that students don't come to us knowing perfectly what they want to be when they graduate from a university or from a college. And, and they're going to explore. Uh, we know that because of the hours that they take. And so how can we provide some assurance when they get to us that they're able to explore uh, within some boundaries and not lose momentum towards their degree? And so now we don't have a specific major in, science, uh, in biology and chemistry. We have a STEM pathway. And so students can get in the STEM pathway, and their focus, if they're planning on transferring to university, needs to be what that university requires of them. Uh, and they can work within that with us, and we advise them through that broader STEM pathway. So they don't start here, get into the chemistry pathway, and then they change their mind and have to go back and start over and lose credit, lose momentum, and those sort of things. And so that's one difference at our institution. We now have nine pathways that we work uh, through, and I know Alamo has the very, a very similar type of, uh, they call it academies, I think. Uh, so that's one difference that you would experience at our institution already, and that's really where we started. To, to, the very first thing we did was that. So. Mm -hmm. And at San Jacinto College, we have eight what we're calling meta-majors, which are basically our pathways, and it's structured very much the same way. Um, the other thing that we do is as students apply, we have an orientation where we have advisors there to help students start talking about 
what, what are you interested in? How does that tie back to our job market? Really put some reality around what they're looking. And then our first semester is very prescriptive. It includes a student success course. Um, for us, it's an education 1300 course, but it's around frameworks and helping you with your, your goal setting, your time management, but also your decision making. And in there, we have points of contacts. And those points of contacts are from advisors to really make sure how are we lining up your curriculum? Are you looking at a transfer? And is it at what institution? So we can put that all into our graduation plan for you. And you're in control of that. When I say you're in control of it, you can watch it, go into it on the computer. You can see what's happening. We'll also advise you, if you start to take courses that aren't along that pathway, this is going to cost you time. And this is going to cost you money. Now, this doesn't mean that a student comes in and is locked in. Um, but it does really try to help students understand what are the decisions they're making and how does that impact what they've said is their longer term goal. And so we're trying to do that right from the start and then making sure that we're very hands on. Um, it's really a balance between high touch and high technology. And, and that's one of the things that, that we're very careful in how we're managing that right now. And again, this is a real evolution. Um, while you're, you're changing, I've still got 30,000 students enrolled. And so I've got to balance the new students coming in with who we have. And so um, we're trying to make sure how do you put in your systems the right way so that you don't have additional blockage along the way. And that's a really important point here is that as you're implementing this at each of your colleges, it's not that you're just stopping and starting over. I mean, nothing is, nothing is ending with what you were already previously doing and your commitment to the students already there. Can you talk about like balancing? That's, it seems like it's quite a feat to do. Well, one, it is. <laughs> go ahead. Well, one of the things that we have focused on, uh, I think Brenda and Jeremy have talked about that getting in the door. Uh, we now, uh, we've hired four success coaches. And we're a small college. Our enrollment's about 5,200. And they go through the standard, students coming into us go through the standard advising process. But once they're at the college, our student success coaches kick in to be sure that they're staying on the pathway, as Brenda talked about. If they start struggling in a class, if they miss more than two times, we have a retention alert system that notifies the success coaches. They go stand outside the classroom door, and when that person comes out, they grab them and say, how can we help you be successful? We notice you're struggling. So we're doing that with existing students in addition to the new students coming in, trying to make sure that the students that we have who are already in that pipeline get some of that high touch and get on with what it is they need to do. And they've been very receptive to that. It's been a surprise. Not all of our employees thought it was a good idea to do that. And now, um, slowly but surely, they're seeing the results. That transitions directly into the next question I would wanted to ask, which is about buy-in from, you know, this is quite an undertaking to do. And you must have buy-in from faculty members, staff, you know, beyond that, you have to have, you know, this is not just about your colleges itself. This is also about high schools and universities that, you know, to make this work as efficiently as you can. How, how have you seen the buy-in from, from those levels? Well, the chancellor and I have gone to each of our, we have six uh, local transfer institutions. And uh, we've talked with all of them about this plan. And just last week, we signed a compact between uh, Alamo Colleges, Austin Community College, and nine universities up and down our corridor. They're delighted. 
because they want our students. Uh, they want them more than they ever have. Uh, but they want them well prepared with hours that are going to count toward their degrees. And then the high schools, by the way, are more than delighted because with the endorsements, uh, they, they need to know what are the pathways that are available for the students once they get out of high school and move on. And so we've had great uh, response from that. Internally, I think you have to build the picture of what this is going to be, and you have to see the successes. And you have to involve everybody. I mean, right now, this fall, we have our 800 full-time faculty involved in developing real maps uh, from our programs uh, to, through the university. So not looking at what we think students ought to take, but what the university says they need to take, which is a real shift. Uh, and, but you just have to say it and go over it and then see some successes, and then people get excited about that. So overall, although there are the naysayers, change is hard. Uh, we've, uh, our board has also supported our hiring about 50 additional advisors. So we've gone down to a, an advisor to student ratio of 350 to 1. And so there's a lot of that touch is so important. And I think we've all learned over the last decade that you, you can't have a student come in and say, oh, we're so glad you're here. And by the way, we'll contact you when it's time to graduate. Uh, I think we've all changed our mind from that. And we're very involved with the student from the beginning all the way through. And while we've had um, great relationships with our ISDs, and, and they are there, we were there as we worked through the endorsements for House Bill 5, we're building on those partnerships, and they see that just as a natural path. Um, our university partners are different from Alamo's. Um, we have, again, five that are our major transfer paths, but three of them located right in Houston. So we're having those conversations. But they're, they're different relationships with each one. Um, one of them uses the same common core numbering that we do, so it's a much easier transfer. But it's having those conversations. The other external partner you've got to bring to the table is your business community. And for us, um, our business community has been tremendous supporters. And I say that from our petrochemical industry, which is having tremendous growth. They have a lot of need around retiring workforce and also expansion in our area. But our maritime industry and our health sciences. and so. You've got to bring those partners to the table, and they have been the strongest advocates of how we really need to build this pipeline into what they need, not only for the entry-level worker, but also as you continue on a career pathway. Internally, um, we've been on this journey for a while, and so there was a lot of growing pains when we first got into achieving the dream, and we started really digging into data. And we're an educational institution that's been built on excellence. We believe in what we're doing for the community. You start digging into the data and looking at it from not just an enrollment standpoint, you start having those hard conversations. And so we've been having those hard conversations with our faculty and staff for about eight years. And again, tremendous improvement, but now you're going into another level of that. And that just requires regular engagement regular communication, in really involving them. And so Fridays, um, we have Framework Fridays, and our faculty and our staff are working around these pathways. And it has to be broad engagement. 
And I know that you've seen the book referenced around um, redesigning the community college. We've bought about 800 copies of that book for our, fa our faculty and staff. And we're doing, we're doing study groups around it. And again, we gotta take this all the way down to the basic um, because it is really important. I can't do this. It has to be the momentum from within your organization. So, so change is hard, right? So they updated iOS 10 recently, and do you have I'm, trouble I'm still, logging I'm in? I'm still waiting. I'm, not, I'm <laughs> waiting for some more experimentation. When you try to figure out the home button, it's irritating for a while. And so that's a little change. We're talking about massive change from an access approach to enrolling students. You go to the go to a rotary meeting, and, and they say, how's the college doing? And you don't get the answer. They said, how is enrollment? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not, and, and so I don't answer that question anymore. I answer the question about how our students are being successful in classes and how they're graduating and, other, and those things. I don't know a faculty member or anybody that works at a college, uh, elementary school, secondary school, that is truly an educator that doesn't have a huge, huge heart for students. And uh, if heart would get us there, we would already be there, I promise you. Uh, but we've got to do something different and we don't, this doesn't exist in a vacuum. Uh, there are things that are happening around this that are forcing us to, uh, to do this. Core curriculum uh, change yes. in Texas a few years ago was a major change so that some of our faculty now, don't be, they're not able to teach that, um, the philosophy class that they were able to teach before because it's no longer in the core and that's a streamlined process for the community colleges in the state of Texas. And so that's a change that faculty have experienced. Um, and uh, the rea realization that uh, from a financial aid pr perspective, uh, students only have a certain number of semesters that they can receive federal financial aid and or loans, realizing it takes on average four years for a community college student to complete in Texas because we have a lot of students enrolled part-time. Um, well, if that number of semesters is three years, we'll have a lot of three-fourth gradu three graduates in, in the state of Texas. And so when you start sharing that back with your faculty and they say, well, shouldn't students be able to take eight different humanities classes and those things? Well, it would be great. We all value the exploration uh, model of higher education. That's not, that doesn't match up with the reality of what we're being told from the state level, uh, from a success points perspective, and also from the federal level in terms of what we'll be able to support our students. And, and for us, Title IV title funds are very important for our mm -hmm. students. Uh, community colleges students represent uh, the diversity of the state of Texas by any measure. Um, and one measure that we, we may overrepresent is students who have less uh, money uh, than, the, than the state. Uh, my vision is that we would have students that graduate that represent uh, the diversity of the state of Texas. And the only way we get to the state's goal of uh, 60 by 30 Texas is to invest in that uh, and to be able to, to lean into that. And it takes us all. Um, and, and honestly, um, I think if you would try this, uh, try this 10, well, maybe you've been on this journey a long time, so when you started this journey, your, your uh, people that didn't buy into this could go to work at San Jacinto or Grayson or other places. Texas has a climate where whatever college you're working at, there's some level of this work going on. Yeah, that's and right. that's a unique thing about Texas. And that's why we have the Texas um, Pathways model right. is because the, the climate is right. Uh, yeah. The climate is right. We're leading this at a, at a national level. Um, and that's why there are four or five there's four, in the there's the, four here, yeah, but but you know there's only a couple of states that have picked up on what the the national organization is promoting to do to really do it statewide. Texas being one. Another policy you mentioned new pathways. Um, so this that's that's another example. So this work is it's not boutique programs. It's doing things at scale that matter. And so when I arrived at my college as a new president, 
I left an institution that had piloted something in, in developmental math. Great results. It was phenomenal. One class, one section, one summer. Um, phenomenal results, though. I mean, off the charts. My institution had already, at scale, changed everything to the best of the new pathways model, and we saw an 18% increase in success right away. So it's, it's not my pet project, it's helping all students. Uh, the attendance I mentioned earlier, we've had differences in success of our students based on um, ethnicity. And so uh, this last semester, this last year, uh, we had the highest success rate ever for African-American students, and it was higher than any other student group. Was that attendance or what was going on? We didn't focus on a special program. We said, we're gonna do this as a college at scale. And it had these types of results to advance the equity agenda and to move our students to be successful. And so that's really what this work is about. Absolutely. Um, so kind of have talked about this idea that this is not a one size fit all approach. Uh, you know, and you also talked about kind of make, working with the business community. You know, you know, it seems like the, with the way our economy works and the way the job force works, it just seems like it's, there's constantly changing. How, do you, how are you working through this system and with the business community to kind of predict or prepare for you know, jobs that you may be not as well suited for in the current system, but you know, that they could be the economy of you know, a few years from now? Well, one of the ways all of us do, it's required by the state, is for every one of our workforce programs, you have to have a local advisory committee of experts in that area. They meet uh, a couple of times a year, they look at the curriculum, they tell you where that job market is going, what kind of opportunities at the entry level, what the pay scale is. You get really valuable information. And that's information that we use as we're developing these academic maps for all of our students for the programs, certificates and degrees that we offer. And we all do that. And it really engages our business community in the work of the college. They feel valued and we appreciate so much their willingness to help us with that. So that's one of the ways. I think we probably all have other ways. But you know, we have a locally elected board and my board is made up of local business leaders. And we get such valuable input of what's going on, what they see happening in Central Texas. So I think with those advisory committees and with the makeup of our board, we're sort of a step ahead of other institutions by tying it to the local community. Because most of our students have plans, at least initially, of staying local. They want jobs there within driving distance. They want to be, make a good wage. And we need to be tied into the community to know how to help get those students through the appropriate pipeline to the right degree, whether it's an associate from us or they move on to a bachelor's degree. We have to connect those pieces for the students. And if I give you an example from the petrochem industry, House Bill 5 was a critical component for um, our petrochem industry. And what it has done is there's a grassroots effort in our region from taking the petrochem business community along with the community college and going into our ISDs and going into those ISDs at a sixth and eighth grade level to let them know what the careers are in our region. And this is a real um, relationship. Again, when you start looking that you're impacting 10,000 students a year by going out and, and having those conversations, you're doing it with STEM focus, um, STEM events at the college that are being sponsored by industry. And then you're going in and you're having those conversations with students and their parents. 
when they're signing up for their endorsements. And then you're continuing that through high school. And those same petrochemical leaders are the ones that are on my advisory committee. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that when San Jacinto College needed to pass an, a bond with the focus being around workforce training, they came out as endorsers. And to have 90 petrochemical companies endorse your bond when they're gonna have a tax increase, but they know it's so important for what they need for their region, that's pretty powerful in the community. And what Glenda said around the advisory committees, you've gotta have those. And, um, and I'm very involved with the petrochem, and they, I tell them I need the good, bad, and the ugly. And we gotta be able to fix the bad and the ugly. Yeah. And, um, and you put it on the table and, and you address it. And for a plant manager to be giving us that kind of time, we gotta respond. And so um, as we look at all those components, that's what's the beauty about community colleges. We have that flexibility to be able to respond. And that's what our community expects. And you're exactly mm -hmm. right, having a locally elected board, um, they're out there, they're hearing what's going on and they are, are very committed to that. I think more than ever before too, we're all involved with our Texas Workforce Commission regional you know, uh, entities. But in San Antonio, the high schools, the universities, the business community, and the community colleges have come together more in the last two or three years than we ever have. Mm -hmm. We have uh, an SA Works uh, uh, organization in San Antonio that is really focused on those high-wage, high-demand jobs. And that's something that's a real part of this Pathways work, is really expanding from 80% of the students that come into us, we say, what do you think you want to do? Well, I want to transfer. They, they don't really know what that means or what the opportunities are out of that. But I think through this Pathways, we are in our six uh, career institutes have combined the, the university transfer programs with the appropriate workforce programs. So we're trying to help students make really informed choices based on their life situation and their basic skill readiness and their interest to say, you might want to start this path, but you can always move to something else. And here's how you can get a job in some industry after a two-year program and make really good money, perhaps more than you would make uh, if you continue on to that college uh, degree, that four-year degree. Not to put one above the other or below, but to really try to create an equal playing field for both ways that a student can go. Uh, and so back to your original question, if you came in, I mean, I, I think we're getting to the place where we'd want to help you based on your situation, your aspirations, where you are in your life, to give you some good and in, informed choices uh, and then let you make that choice. I'd add to that that our I played baseball in high school in 16. When I was 16, we went to state, and on that team, we turned a triple play. Um, and any baseball players in the room? Great. One, you understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> the rest of you, I'm sure, have something like that. It's a great feeling. It's one of the rarest things that happens in baseball. In my region right now, we have the Texamo Middle Skills Project, where ISDs, the community college, uh, business and industry, economic development corporation, the workforce boards are all in the same room. And I feel like I'm playing on that team. Uh, and it's a really exciting time within our region. Uh, and I see that happening across the state. I was um, actually here earlier this week uh, with the tri-agency uh, uh, task force, the, the 
uh, Commissioner of Education, Commissioner of Higher Education, and the Workforce Commissioners talking about what we can do to align and prepare for the, the Texas of tomorrow. How can we invest in Texans through education to make sure that they have an opportunity to grow their business? Uh, in our region, unemployment's at 4%, and businesses are really interested in that because they're having a difficult time hiring people. And so right now, that's caused us to align uh, with our schools more. We found out in our primary industries, our public schools did not have that pathway mm -hmm. in place. Uh, and now they've hired faculty and they're building programs and they articulate to us. And so it's a really exciting time uh, to be in, in a part of that. And I hope you all have triple plays at your institutions as well. <laughs> but the, the governor highlights this tri-agency um, uh, approach and I'm really excited to see where that goes. And there's some policy things in there that can really help us move forward. Great. So we've kind of touched on a little bit of, you know, Dr. McMillan, you referred to, you don't like to talk about specifically as enrollment as a, you know, a metric of success or failure. Um, but obviously, we're all in different stages here, right, in terms of implementing a pathway system. You know, how do you plan or how are you already kind of determining, you know, uh, what's working, what's not, what's, what's iterative, what needs to change? I mean, that's, it's, it's got to be a, an experimental phase, too, in terms of, like, you know, some things are working and then giving yourselves an opportunity to, to fix what may not be working as well. Like, how is that, how are you guys building that into, uh, you know, as you assess, you know, what you're implementing with Pathways? You know, unfortunately or fortunately, AACC has put evaluation That's in this right. model. <laughs> you know, there's not going to be a way to get around it. And, and we want that. I mean, I think we've learned that ongoing evaluation is really important. Just as we've added those advisors, you know, we are uh, ongoing doing uh, student forums and getting uh, feedback from both advisors and students to see how that's going. I think uh, a little longer term, it's going to be, are they staying longer? So that whole persistence, and we hope, you know, those have got to increase. I mean, obviously, you've got to be successful in the class and then stay from one semester to the next to ever get to that uh, graduation rate. So I think there are the process evaluations, and then there'll be uh, those lagging indicators that uh, we've seen move slightly as we've been in achieving the dream and all been doing sort of different things. But as we try to combine all those initiatives into a really robust student experience with the student having a goal, uh, it'll be that we see those, those metrics actually improve. And I think if you talk to any of the four institutions here, we all have very um, strong institutional yes. research departments. And so right. Glenda mentioned about the new math pathways. Right. She can tell you how successful <laughs> students are in this new math approach versus where they were before. Um, I can tell you from our acceleration in math program that we have, and it takes students from um, developmental education and college algebra in one semester yeah versus students who were college ready going through college algebra, I can tell you under AIM, they're 22% more successful than the other class. And so we're looking at that data on a very regular basis. Every semester, we're looking at that. And so not only does um, AACC and the Texas Pathways have a lot of data points they're having us look at, and they're having us look at data we hadn't looked at before, but we also have our other measures that we're already monitoring. And I think the one thing is, it's about innovation in our institutions, mm -hmm. but it's also about stepping back and saying, okay, this isn't working. That innovation might have looked good, but now it's time to regroup around it. And so we, we operate under continuous improvement and having all the data pieces. Um, 
we can't say we've got it all right, but we're going to keep evaluating it and figuring it out. So, Norm oh. Russell. No, no. I just wanted Brenda. I wanted Brenda to talk about student success points and right. how important right. tracking how our students are doing, being aware of it, working to improve, mm -hmm. helps us with state funding. So, two sessions ago, um, the community she colleges the put together an agenda that. 10% of our funding would be based on performance. And so um, our model was student success points. And it takes students from wherever they come to us. And community colleges, we take 100% of the students that apply. And our job is we need to move them through that pathway. And so our student success points take students who aren't college ready. And we get points as we move them to be college ready, as they move through college level math or um, writing, when they get 15 hours, 30 hours but ultimately when they graduate and transfer. So we get points all along the, that way. And that is across all 50 community colleges. And we decided to go with that system because we know the importance of what we do and we are all committed to success. And so um, if you look over the last two um, legislative sessions, the, the points across the state have increased. And this is a way, again, for us to measure. This is our pathway, this is what we do. And we are so committed to success and performance that we put it as part of our funding from the state. Um, and so the pathways line up perfectly with that. Absolutely. Um, and it is, again, how you're getting funding from the state. Um, our issue becomes we need adequate funding from the state for this model because it does say we're making progress. And, um, and so that's really where you can see the commitment across the state is when you can say I'm taking 10% of my funding and wanting it to be on performance, that's pretty significant. So we have a goal at Grayson College that uh, 2020 by 2020, 2020 students will graduate our college by the year 20, in, in a year in the year 2020. And it just hit me that the goal is probably, we think that's a big goal. It's helped to galvanize a lot of things. We talk about now pathways from non-credit uh, to uh, moving that to credit. And so a student doesn't, go through one portion of our institution and have to start over in the other portion that there's some way to move that um, back. And so we've already talked about dual credit and so or, or our partnerships with the public schools. And so that sort of feeds us and really it can help me with my 2020 by 20 goal. But so just hits me uh, while I'm sitting here that that's not a big enough goal. And, it's, it's, and if that's not already stressful enough, the, the, the reality is our students come to us from multiple institutions, other higher education institutions, three, four, uh, transcripts. So they don't experience us as a college. They experience us as an ecosystem of higher education. And so we have to work across our institutions. Well, I can, you know, I can work within my own institution a lot easier than I can. So it's, we have to have this collaboration. And then that, that work that we have to do with our universities. And so um, I think that's an important element, yes. and so I'm, I'm probably not going to change the brochure that says 2020 by 2020, but that is a big capital B-I-G goal is to have students really move through the higher education ecosystem in Texas, and it requires us to collaborate in ways we That's haven't right. before. Great. I just have a, a couple more questions. Just a reminder, uh, if you have questions, come on up to the mic. Uh, we'll be switching over to Q&A in just a minute. Uh, but uh, one thing I wanted to ask is, you know, obviously with, you know, something like the pathway system, it's got to change, you know, kind of the framework of the school itself. And I just wanted you to talk each about kind of the impact, whether it be on staffing, expenses, if it hasn't had an, uh, 
impact on even on, on tuition? Just in generally, what has changed now, kind of within the framework of the universe, uh, the colleges, because of through this programs? Oh, do you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. Um, we have not seen a change in tuition. We, we are in our fourth year at the same rate. What we are seeing is that we are retooling employees, changing their skill set. Uh, we've got some really talented people who are talented in ways that we no longer need them to perform. And so we need to help them get those additional skills. We find ourselves um, moving around, experimenting, trying to find the right way to um, get those students' attention and make sure that we're serving them well. At this point, we haven't seen significant changes in the budget, but our plans indicate that we will see an increase in what it cost us to do business because we're doing it a whole different way and trying to be sure that we for every employee who wants to be a part of that process, that we enable them to do that. I think that's our obligation. So, so for us, we've really moved things around. And so you, the, your prior job was to uh, do X, and now it's to do Y. Um, we have actually added the number of full-time faculty uh, during a time of declining enrollments. We think that that has had some impact on the success, in particular in some programs that didn't have what we felt like was enough full-time faculty. Uh, so that was pointed out to us, and, and we've done that. Um, but if you look at the total budget, uh, it's been a challenging financial time uh, from all the buckets we, we pull from. And so we pull from the state dollars, uh, we pull from our local tax property revenue, and we pull from our, uh, from our students. And so uh, we were a college that was below the state average in terms of tuition and fees when I arrived, and we're nearly at the state average now. So we've seen that change in terms of tuition, mainly because we wanted to be nearing the state average um, during that same time, the, the, the revenues from the state dollars have gone down. Uh, and so net, we're not up substantially uh, within the dollars. So we've had to move those things around. Uh, we do realize, or I, I, I thought we could just replace this with that, and I think there will be a lot of that work going on. But the more I talk about this nationally with other community college presidents that have been doing it for a while, that this will require us, if we're going to do it well, uh, to spend additional dollars in some manner. And so that's something that I think you see represented in the discussion that came out of the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board's Formal Advisory Committee uh, to increase the amount of core funding for community colleges. Each college uh, in each uh, biennium gets $1 million, um, and that, the ask was to take that uh, to $1.5 million. And so that's a way that uh, the state could invest in uh, community colleges and support some of these things that, that we're talking about. Uh, so there, there, it's... There's no new dollars yet. Uh, I think if we're going to really do what we need to, it will require uh, new dollars. I think we need to stop thinking about what it costs to enroll a student and start thinking about what it costs to have a student fail. Uh, and, have, and the other way to say that is, what is the real cost per graduate? Uh, you'd be spending a lot of money on enrollment, but not a lot of money on graduation. So we need to fund uh, the success. And we, we've said as community colleges, we're willing to accept that from success points. Um, put our, we're putting our money where our mouths are in relation to that. And, and that's another opportunity to invest in 60 by 30 Texas. Uh, we're asking for investment in uh, student success points. And for San Jacinto College, um, we are always looking at how we repurpose our budget and move it to priorities. Um, and one of the things is you, start, you have to cut out things that aren't impacting your student success agenda. Um, some of those boutique things if you're only impacting 30 and 40 students, how do you start scaling things? And some of those smaller programs have to go away. 
And, and so we're, we're really looking at that hard. And that is from a dollar resource, but all, a time resource also. Um, as far as impact, we're looking at advising. We are not going to have the capacity to hire 50 new advisors like Alamo did. Um, and what we're looking at is how do you change the jobs of faculty and our other advisors, and how do you really um, look at that differently? Because there will be a need, but we want to make sure we get our hands around that differently. And the other component is, um, you know, all community colleges, all state agencies were asked to have a 4% reduction in their LAR this year when we submitted them our legislative appropriation request. And as we go into this session, that's really important. Um, Grayson's funding model is a little bit different than San Jacinto's funding model. I have a very strong tax base. Um, and, you know, so when I look at that, I know my community uh, will also be very interested in how they support us, but they also want to know the states coming to the table and helping around this. And so our agenda for community colleges is critical. Um, the student success points you heard about, that's important for every college. The core funding has a greater impact on a smaller college like Jeremy. Mm -hmm. um, but all 50 community colleges feel that's critical. And then our instructional funding. And so it all is part of the pie of, of how we juggle this. But the bottom line is, um, as the leader of the institution, we're going to have to figure this out because it is too important to let any student fail. And what do we have to do for our systems? And how do we move the, the resources around? You know, all of this is about the investment. And, you know, we I think everybody's talking about the ROI, you know, of everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, that whole, and I hate to use the word for community college, that business model of looking at how are we investing our money, how what are the returns for that investment, and what it's going to take to do this work. Because it is going to take investment, particularly, I think, on the front end, you know, we've never really spent a lot of dollars on helping that student get started in the right way at the beginning. And that's a piece that's just, it's going, it's a vital part of this whole Pathways work. And figuring out how to do that uh, is something that I think everybody's going to be talking about. Great. Um, I'd like to open up for questions if everyone, uh, anyone has. Yes, sir. Yes. Um, David Albert, Professor of Government at Austin Community College. We've jumped on the Pathways train in the last few years, but I think we're pretty early in it. Um, I, I have to say, I, I, you know, I like the things I'm hearing from you that you're doing, but I also feel like this is an inexpensive solution to structural problems that our students are experiencing and the problems that I hear from students as to why they're not succeeding. I mean, what I hear from students is typically that education costs too much, they have to work too many hours outside of class, don't have access to childcare, don't have access to healthcare, don't have access to transportation, don't have access to high quality tutoring. And from faculty, what I hear is that there, there are way too many uh, adjuncts and not enough full-time positions and the adjuncts are being undercompensated and not getting benefits. And that those seem to be the structural problems in the system that are preventing students' success. And I'm just wondering if the Pathways is, going, is doing anything to address these much broader and, frankly, much more expensive problems that are undermining student success. Go ahead. So it, it's all of that. And <laughs> one of the things that we are looking at is, and I said barriers, um, we know childcare is an issue. We know food is an issue. 
Um, we have food banks on our campuses. Um, we are working with the Houston Food Bank on a project where um, students are getting food every week. We can't do that for all students, but we're trying to look at how we expand that. We have emergency funds from our foundation, but we've got to put all, all the resources together. And I am worried about where will all those pieces come together. As far as the adjunct and the full-time rate, we're looking at that across every program. And there are, they're very, they're big issues, but it's all part of how do we pull together all the pieces of it. And nothing is off the table in this. Um, and again, I, I realize there's a lot of issues here, but my job is looking at how do we dig into this and figuring out where can I go and get resources to help with whatever those problems are. And so it's all of what you're saying. And, and, and we're gonna dig into that also. And I don't have all the answers around it. So I'll talk to the transportation issue. Um, we had a regional transportation agency uh, serving our students, bringing them to our campus. They would pick them up at their home and even bring them to, to our campus. And that stopped mid-semester for our students. That's a real struggle uh, for them. And that agency is um, attempting to be uh, revived. And so uh, I was proud that we had that. That meant a lot to our students. Uh, getting to college uh, is an important thing. We see students now walking to our college. We're not in the middle of a town. They're, they're walking uh, along some uh, rural, rural road. And so transportation is a huge, uh, huge issue. Uh, so we instituted carpooling and, and those sort of things. Uh, but these larger structural problems are something we're very well aware of in community colleges and, and trying to address those. Uh, we know our students. Uh, we know what their, their challenges are. Um, they're massive. What I talk about in my community is we can't do uh, in our community, it's 20 by 20, or 2020 by 2020, but we can't do 60 by 30 Texas. If we don't do this together, I will not get there alone. Um, I have to have that foundation in my community supporting me, that business in my community supporting me, uh, someone helping that student be able to receive uh, whatever service it is that they, they happen to need. Uh, so this is, the solutions that we have to bear from our own institutional resources are not enough to achieve the goal that we have. We have to do this together. Could someone address the cost of education for our students? Um. Well, I, I guess from a community college standpoint, um, we are some of the most affordable education in the country or, and in the state. I mean, at San Jacinto College, for 15 hours, it's $900 a semester for in-district and out-of-district, it's around um, $1,500. $1, and again, we monitor that all the time. Um, for us, it's also monitoring the tax rate that we're charging our taxpayers. And so it is a real balance there. And so when you talk to, I think, the four of us, we're some of the most affordable education across the country and definitely in the state. And so we're constantly looking at that. But you also have to have the, the other resources coming to the table um, and helping you. And that becomes part of the, the state. I do think the Pathways work is designed to try to help students yeah. minimize the time they're going to spend and how many classes they're going to be taking. So as we're dealing with the issues that you mentioned, we are trying to get them in a goal and try to move them along so there are not a lot of excess expenses. Yeah, so we sh we've shifted the conversation from per credit hour to per program. And if you actually stay right. on track in the program, this right. is the cost of education uh, exactly. for you. Uh, now, if you stretch that out, it, the cost goes up because right. of transportation and all sure. those other issues. So, hey, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to thank you for yeah. putting those issues together, sure. listening to your students, 
and I hope you are sharing those with your uh, dean, your administrators, because it's really important. And we take very seriously what our students tell the faculty, because you are on the front line with that student. Yeah. I'm way, even though we're a small college, I'm removed. I do a couple of forums a year, uh, spend four days a week uh, for a couple of weeks meeting with students. And I hear some of that, and we start trying to address it, but trying to get back to that student. You are connected in a way that we aren't, but we need to hear from people like you. You need to send that through the pipeline so that you can hold our feet to the fire on those things that we have some control over and how we help those students. So thank you for being here. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm Paul Colbert. I'm former budget chair of education back many years ago when I was in the legislature. Um, first of all, just to follow up on, on the conversation that you all just had, which was not what I was intending to do, it's not just important for them to get that information to you. It's tremendously important for you to get that information to the legislature. Mm -hmm. For the most part, the way the legislature deals with things is these are just numbers, and they're numbers on a page, and I don't know what they mean in terms of what they buy. And my numbers are better than, it's, it's like a he said, she said sort of You're an right. argument. So unless you can quantify, this is why we need this level of funding, because this is what it takes to be able to make student success happen, mm -hmm. um, then you get the thing like you had a few years ago, where there was a, a huge and arbitrary cut in the uh, rate of funding per contact hour. Mm -hmm. So. You not only need to, to hear it for yourselves, but more importantly, you need to funnel that information into Austin to, uh, to explain to them why they can't continue doing to you what they've been doing to you in terms of the appropriations process. Now to get to what I was talking about. <laughs> um, but thank you for that information. That's useful, too. It really is. I mean, it's they have no idea if, if I give you this level of funding per contact hour versus that level. What, what does it do mean in it? terms of what you need in the way of resources to be able to make those students be successful? They have no clue because they don't hear anything that relates the, the, the dollars of appropriation to what it takes to provide for that education. So, okay. and, and particularly with respect to the degree to which that was a holistic approach to mm -hmm. what it takes for student success, that's something they never hear. Okay. And it's something that they need to hear a whole lot more. Um, community colleges don't just manufacture certificates and they don't just manufacture associate degrees and they don't just, I mean, there's more to education than that. And uh, for a lot of people, what the community college provides in an environment where people are, are suddenly having to move to a totally different uh, uh, job to a, that, that takes a different skill set is the community college is where I can go and learn how to use Excel or the community, you know, something, some little piece that I need uh, in my, my toolkit of skills to be able to make me be able to shift to, the, to whatever the economy has now shifted for me to, yeah. to become employable again. Do the success points really relate to that? Because I don't see anything in the success point model that gives you a reward for taking the student who enters without the, uh, the intention of getting a certificate, certificate or a degree. Um, it, it puts no value on that. And the more you shift money into either 
core funding, which is great for small colleges and doesn't do anything at all for San Jack or for, mm -hmm. uh, or for you know, yeah. San Antonio colleges uh, or, or HCC or anybody. And the more you shift into success points, you're creating a situation of, um, if you win the race, we'll pay for your gas, but we're not gonna give you the gas to be able to compete in the race in the first place. So how much, how much are you underfunding the ability to be able to provide for the very necessary levels of education you provide to people who aren't on that degree or certificate track? How much of a problem are we creating by shifting I mean, uh, the commissioner was talking about increasing that 10% to 14% or something like that for success points. And then if you combine that with shifting a bunch more money into the core funding, how much are we going to run out of gas for everybody else? Mm -hmm. So on the student success points, when it was developed, we had put some place markers in for adult basic education, for marketable skills, and then also some high demand. And the data points were just not there from a state level for us to be able to say, we feel with confidence we should put these markers in. On the adult basic education side, the real issue is there's so much need and there's such limited funding. Um, why do you put that in there when you know there's no way you're gonna be able to address that need appropriately? Eventually, we see, eventually we see that being added, um, but we need stronger support from, from the state reporting systems around that and what is really needed from a standpoint across the, the state. Um, the other piece of it becomes, you have to know you got a commitment from the state for that kind of a model. And the last session, um, two sessions ago, we were funded at $183 a point. Based on the last session's funding, that went down to about 172 to $73 a point. Well, how much more do you put into that until you know there's a commitment from the state that this is going to be funded adequately, and then how do you start defining adequately in the future? So we see other points needed in there to meet that. Just what you said, we just don't see um, that the supports are in there in the system right now. Does that explain yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and, and I think at the local level, uh, our advisory committees, our board, the business community know the value that we offer them for employees that they need to change their skill set in order to do the new job because they're going from a line operation to a computerized operation. They need to come to us to get that additional education. Sometimes we do it through business and continuing ed with support from the Workforce Commission for skills development dollars. So there's an acknowledgement at the local level of that high need that we serve for those people you described. We just haven't found a way to capture that easily. Uh, because some of the data, we have to have the students self-report whether they're degree-seeking, uh, what level of degree, and all that sort of thing. And sometimes students don't give us really useful data. So, so I, we've lived a long time without any recognition of all those great things that we do. Um, but we don't want to let perfection, the pursuit of perfection, get in the way of our progress right. and our ability to say, we think we add value and this is, these are the following ways. And so mm -hmm. that very question was asked of me by my faculty. And the answer I gave was, you might assume if you had successful experiences and more students completing degrees in the following ways that you would, these other things would come along as well. Uh, and that we're not counting those because <laughs> it costs money to count those, right? Uh, the, you came back and got an Excel class and, and all that. So, so uh, we, we feel like we've gotten the engine out of the, of the, the, the train house and we're, we're going down the tracks and then we'll modify it as we go. Yeah. So. 
In, in terms of the adult basic education piece, I mean, we, we have a, a tremendously low adult literacy rate compared to most other states here. Are you all doing anything with respect to quantifying that and trying to create a push for doing a better job of creating state funding? We had, for a brief bit of time, state funding for that effort when I created the Literacy Council, which then went away after I left. And are, are you trying to do anything on that now? So the state funds enough to serve about 100,000 students in adult basic ed. Is that, is that the number, latest number? Um, the, dollars, the dollars that we uh, fund towards that is equivalent to what the county of San Diego funds. And so there's immense need uh, to be able to advance that, and we're aware of that. Uh, we're, I have a program at my college. I'm I sure you, you all do as well. Uh, we want to meet those needs. We want to have every student that comes to us be successful. We got time for just a couple more questions. Uh, please go ahead. So my name is Daniel. I'm an advisor here on campus within the Student Success Initiatives Program. Uh, specifically, I work with the University Innovation Alliance in the MAPS program, the Monitoring, Advising, Analytics, Promote Success. And I'm actually part of creating all degree maps here on the campus for every major, for every school, <laughs> to promote four-year graduation rates, to take 40 courses in four years, to maximize the benefit like you all are talking about. Right. So I'm doing that right away, and I think it's great what you're doing. But at the same time, the other probe for this is that we want to create an early system warning, early warning system of how to initiate advisors to go seek out these students before they become Q-dropped or fail. And I know Glenda over here was talking about what she does over at her campus, but here at UT, the only early warning system we have here officially is the faculty absentee reports where the faculty send reports of students not going to classes if they want to. It's not even mandated in this case. So half of my project is to implement a system that I think would be best to promote these early warning systems here. What would be the best practices you're doing right now that I can maybe implement for my students here? Well, wait, <laughs> the sheer size is just overwhelming. This is only on the starting end. Of I will say my caseload is 150 students, so I'm working only oh. with that size. Okay. Wow. Oh, okay. That, that's that's we are using Grades First, a product, to, uh, and we have an early alert system. So we've tried to make it as easy as possible for all faculty at three weeks to do, you know, report who's not progressing for any number of reasons, document those very quickly uh, in that product, and then we're building on the, on the second level. If students have more than one of those, then an advisor kicks in to try to notify that student. Now, there are a lot of processes in that and we're working on them, but I think it's gotta be a combination of faculty and advisors doing that on an ongoing basis. And we have a new system rolling out at the end of December, it's called Advise, and it's a, an Elucian product that connects in with our enterprise system. It's been complicated, and so um, we're really excited it's coming out in December, but it'll also be a faculty advisor combo, um, and so it's too new for me to tell you successes, but. So, so if you try to take an approach of 150 students, that's a, that's a real challenge because there are 50,000 students here at UT, and so it's really dependent on the faculty adoption of that mm -hmm. model. So you've got to make it easy on the faculty yep. to share that information or to gather uh, nuggets that tell you whether a student's on path or not. And so we, to that end, we, we had our own sort of homegrown system that we built. Uh, we had 8% of our faculty start to use that. Uh, eight, not 80, not 10, eight. That's, that doesn't, that's not scaling, that's not lifting. That's, it's good and it did help the students that were alerted, but if you were a student, you might have an alert from her but not the rest of us, for example. 
And so uh, we did the uh, three-week grades and all that, and so we were doing that with some uh, not-so-helpful technology. It was too late by the time we got back to the students. So um, the attendance that we started taking, we downloaded that out of Canvas every week. It didn't go just to advisors. It went to chairs, and every Friday the chairs were, were talking with the faculty about what's happening in their classrooms. You, you know what's going in your classroom. You know they're missing in class because of X, Y, Z, or the first exam was last week, and now they all of a sudden want all the help in the world. So I can't administer that policy at the institution level. Get it in the hands of the people that will use that. So we are lately looking at a product called Dropout Detective that, that gets information out of their learning management system. Was the last time somebody turned something in? Did they attend the class? Did they do those sort of things? We're not there yet. We're not using it. Um, I'm a, my background is data, analytics, research, and all that. And I would tell you that generally I would say pull everything from their high school diploma and all those things and build a predictive model, and that's the best thing. Right now, that, there's no perfect solution that I see that does that, that gets the action by faculty and, and chairs and, and uh, counselors and all those other people. But this taking attendance uh, probably has the effect, right. actually the fact that you're doing it. Yeah. Uh, my faculty were telling students, the president looks at this, you know, he knows if you're in class, yeah, right, I know if you're in class or not. But, it, but it, it, that's where the rubber meets the road, and so if you can do something that gets to that, where the real interaction and challenge is, that, that may be the most promising. Support those that have the most capability to help uh, engage those students. All right, last question. Hello, so my name is Richard Vega. I'm the Senate Chair for ACC, the Student Government Association. So my question is, at what point do you say that the college is holding the hands of the students? Because it seems like you're holding their hands all the way till they graduate, but once they hit the workforce, they won't have you guys there to keep their attendance or like, you know, support them in their, uh, at work. So at what point do you say that too much help has been given to the students? I'll start. You know, we've, we've looked at places like Harvard and Stanford, and they hold everybody's hand the first year. I mean, they really, they get out there, and they've got to come uh, as freshmen and mm -hmm. go to all these orientations and study groups. and it. So I think that uh, there's nothing wrong with holding the student's hand, particularly the students that haven't had any role model to know what it's going to take. And so between... Yep how you talk to them at the beginning and this Education 1300 class and other things. Uh, the students that don't need their hands held, we won't have to hold them quite as long or as hard, but those that, that have no background in what it's gonna take, uh, I think we're learning that we are gonna have to hold their hand and we want to. And so we're making more things mandatory, uh, we're, we're you know, it's like you got to take your medicine because it's good for you, whether you want it or not. And we're, we're trying to figure the balance for that, but, but we are doing some of that. Well, and Joe Carroll's exactly <laughs> right. I mean, we looked at the Stanford Institute and you're like, dang, they, they do it. And 75% of my students are first generation yes. to college. So they haven't had those role models. And they haven't seen what's it really take to get through. And the systems are confusing. And so it is a balance. Um, and where I envision this is a lot of hand-holding to start with, and yeah. maybe that starts um, limiting off as the students are progressing. But we know after they get 30 hours, they're probably going to be more successful. But there's a lot of support that has to be put in place. And again, when I'm looking at 75% first generation to college, that's astounding. Mm 
and, and the support needs to be there. It's too easy to, to realize that I'm failing and I need to drop out and, and they might do that. They need us to keep them in there. And um, mm -hmm. it's not that we're asking anybody to give away grades, they still gotta perform. Yeah. Um, but do they know where their student success centers? Do they know that tutoring is free at our mm -hmm. institution? Do they know this mm -hmm. and this? And, and so it's a balance, but um, it's a challenge I'm, ready to, I'm, I'm willing to put in place to try to support them. One, one other piece. Over 65% of our students are part-time. Yeah. And they take far more hand-holding than our full-time students. And um, it's hard to explain all the pieces of it very quickly, but we really are paying attention to those part-time students, encouraging them to take as many hours as they can to move along the pipeline and trying to find back to the gentleman uh, who's the professor at ACC, trying to identify where their barriers are. Because sometimes we can provide one little piece that will click all the rest of those pieces together so that they can move on. And I don't know that we are even in our plans holding hands enough. I, I understand what you're saying. And, and for students who have good support systems, have the right finances, um, be far enough along in that process with a lot of guidance, they probably don't need it, and hopefully we're not going to make them uncomfortable by intervening too much. But we've got way too many students that we're not doing it enough. So, so I would ask you what you mean by holding someone's hand, and I'm not, I don't know if we have time for an answer, but I mean, you're on student government. Yeah. You're highly engaged with your faculty and staff around you. Is that hand-holding? So uh, what, what I was trying to refer to is because I actually sit on a, the assessment testing committee, and they're talking about making some classes mandatory, like math has to be taken every semester. Right. And you know, some students want to take math off, and it almost sounds like they want to be they want to penalize these students for, you know, so we, not taking math. So, and if, if you guys are, you know, if you're saying that you're on this career pathway, and if it gets to the point where the career pathway becomes mandatory for each semester that you take classes have to follow this plan. If a, if a student doesn't want to take one of those plans or uh, wants to take a class off Okay, that we're going to have to wrap it up. Sorry, we're about to get kicked out. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Thank but, you. But uh, I really appreciate it. Let's please give a hand to our panel. They've been fantastic. Good job.